Welcome in the house of fun. Oh, welcome in the house of fun. Welcome in the All right. house of fun. Let's dig in here. Welcome, welcome to episode 57? 57. We've done welcome 57 to episode. episodes. No, we're not. <laughs> we are not lying to people. This is our third episode. We're just titling it number 57. I want to make that clear. We're we're just misleading people. <laughs> just getting them in the door. Yeah. yeah. Um, episode 57, I'm Greg Larson, your co-host. And I'm John Giles, boy detective. And this episode, we thought that we would do something a little bit different. And I just want to interview John and learn about him. I mean, last time we talked... I learned things about you that I didn't even know. And I just think it'd be cool to get to know you a little bit more. So the spotlight is pretty much going to be on you the whole hour. Oh, nice. And uh, I just want to. It's a party. I've got to unbutton a little bit. I just got got off from work. So I've got to relax a little bit since the spotlight will be on me. For sure. Um, I mean, one of the first things I learned about you is that you're from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. What I, I don't know anything about Winston Salem other than Wake Forest and well I mean what is that town like? What was it like to grow up there? So uh Winston, when I grew up there, there was nothing to do the entire time. Uh it didn't become like a a fun city until after I left college. We were mostly known for uh we had a Schlitz's brewery, we had Krispy Kreme Donuts, uh we had RJ Reynolds tobacco and uh, Wake Forest. So it was like diabetes, uh, lung cancer, colon cancer, and higher education. And that's all Winston-Salem was for a long time. A Schlitz uh, brew, like Schlitz the beer? Is, yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing that Winston, up in Winston, but it's like it had a facility in Winston. It had a, some sort of like southern uh, headquarter. I gotcha. Because I've always associated uh, Schlitz with the upper Midwest. Yeah. And I didn't know that you guys had Schlitz down there. Yeah, uh, it. I don't know. It probably closed when I was like five or six years old. Um, so it wasn't a big part of my childhood. My childhood was mainly like riding my bike up to Polo Park and watching Wake Forest soccer or uh, um, not having friends. That oh, was... tell me about <laughs> it, dude. Like, were you really like a – do you have any siblings? Uh, yeah, so I had um, – oh, let me tell you. Uh, I, I have one sister and I have – two gosh uh half sisters steps half sisters and a half brother and i'll tell you my earliest memory in all of my childhood please i was six years old and um we had a house that the very back door was also like the laundry room so uh i remember going into the laundry room through the kitchen and my uh, half brother steen who was probably 18 at the time i was six uh popped me up on the laundry on the washing machine and said, uh, I'll be back, and gave me a little like pat on the head, and I uh, never saw him again. To this day, have yet to see him again. Holy My shit. <laughs> so the best part about that story, Greg, is I used to tell people that on like a first date or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it would like lock them into this false, like, You're you're broken. You're a broken boy. I can fix you. And uh my wife probably, I think I told her that same thing on our first date. <laughs> She's been trying to fix you ever since. <laughs> it hasn't worked. So did you, I know that was your earliest memory, but 
from hearsay, what did you have a close relationship him, with him before that? Um, so I, I don't think that entire side of the family. So Steen is the half brother, and then Carrie and Annie were the half sisters. Some sort of tumultion happened when when my sister and I were young that we don't know about, and we still to this day don't know about. Um, we thought everything was fine. We thought big happy Brady Bunch family. Uh, my dad had uh two daughters with his former wife my mom had a son with his with her former husband and then they came together to make our family and somehow in that come together uh all the half siblings failed pretty much around the same time um did they all when i did they all bail in such cinematic ways i don't actually remember i think carrie and annie both bailed when they went to college i think they just went to college and never came back um as opposed to steen who was like the last thing we heard about Steen was he was working as like a computer repairman in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And like he truly went off the beaten path and was just like, I'm going to forge my own path. Uh, and uh, no, we hadn't heard. I, I don't think we've heard from any of the three of them since I was probably 12. I think Steen called home for Christmas once. Wow. So yeah. that, I mean, that's not an accident or like that. There's no way that's a coincidence that they all left around the same time. Yeah, something, I mean, something definitely happened. We just don't know what. And like, I mean, sure, if it's anybody's business, it's mine and my sister's. But sure. even then, we still feel like it's like, it's not our business. It's our parents' business. Um, so we're saying, we leave it out of it. I gotcha. It, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's like impacted you a whole lot. No, it, it gives me a great icebreaker that my earliest memory is my half-brother. Of <laughs> my icebreaker is that I tell people that um, my first words were go fuck off. That works pretty That's well. your first words? Yeah, it's it's from the same genre of uh, sort of firsts of yeah. somebody patting you on the head and just disappearing out the back door. Well, I know this is an interview from you to me, but how were your first words go fuck off? Uh, I have four older brothers and like one of them and his friends, they just made a concerted effort. My first word was go. And they're like, oh, I bet we could get them to say, go fuck off. And then oh, yeah. they did. So it's like, they just hand, that's older brother yeah. kind of shit, which you obviously wouldn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it, dude. I'm so sorry. No, I'm so sorry you opened up to me. I just no, threw it in your there's face. No, that's the greatest part about that icebreaker that I used to do with everyone is there's no like emotional drawback to that. Like I am not tied to that story at any means. That story is purely like I tell that story for the emotion on the other person's face. It means okay. nothing to me. So the like the I don't have a big brother, that whole thing, like, yeah, it's true. I don't. <laughs> okay, thank God. But what about your what about your sister? What's your relationship like with her? So my actual sister, um, like a hundred percent blood, we're great. Uh, she lives in Raleigh now. She's got two little kiddos that we that we love to hang out with. Um, they actually had a little COVID scare a couple like a week ago. They had to go into quarantine, but they're all safe. Uh, nice. So uh, did they the have actual, any symptoms? No, their neighbor who their the kids hang out with all the time. I guess their neighbor and that whole family. You always have a, a Topo Chico bottle. Crushing it, dude. It's like the, only, the only water I drink. You drink? I, I crush Topo Chico. And then my apartment complex has a soda fountain where I get uh, carbonated water from their soda fountain as well. Oh, nice. So just pure carbonated water, no flavors. I try not to do the flavors, just like carbonated okay. water. Our flavors 
sugary? Too bad for you? Um, yeah, they can be. Like, I, I just like the carbonated water. It's just like a replacement for soda. I get the same like bite as I would for oh, the sure. soda. Yeah. Um, without yeah, all the extra bullshit. Gotcha. But I will drink a soda every once in a while. But your yeah. si- I, I'm. What is your sister's personality like? Uh, she was like the the school jock. She <laughs> was like varsity in swimming and basketball and soccer and uh i think she played volleyball for like a year or two um but she was just everything uh constantly being better than the other person so like when we grew up i would always try to like i i fancy myself i try to pretend to be an athlete but i'm really not like i know how to play all the sports but i'm not good at any of them uh so like we'd play basketball together and she would smoke me nine times out of ten and then like the one time i beat her she grabs me and throws me into the yard and I like like I don't know I skinned my knee but it was the worst experience of my life because I'm like I just wanted to play with my sister <laughs> that's all I wanted how tall is she uh like 510 5 5'9 5, 5'10 5, wow that's pretty tall yeah she got all the she got the good looks jeans she got the the good at sports jeans I got the redhead jean well, you're really good at knowing sports. You're really good at like sports trivia. So that goes back to my earlier joke I made about not having friends growing up. I when we moved into our neighborhood, um, everyone on my on my block was like 95 years old. Uh, I think the yeah. youngest person on my block was already retired. Uh, so wow. no one even had kids at that point. Everyone's kids had already moved away. Uh, so on my like north half of the neighborhood was all elderly and I would have to like go down like half a mile of a, of a walker or a bike ride just to see like the closest kid. And uh, so really it was like, hang out with people in school. And then the moment school was out, you go home and you're like, well, I guess I'll learn about sports facts. Holy that was shit. It. <laughs> Dude, why, why were there so many people who are so old? It's one of the older neighborhoods in Winston. So like the neighborhood was, I guess, established in like, well, I, I'm going to say this. It doesn't sound old. The neighborhood was established in 1950, and everyone who, like, or was the original homeowners were still the homeowners. Uh, so they like that first cycle of new generation hasn't hadn't come to the neighborhood yet. Huh. What what did the environment look like? Were there trees? Desert? It was a tree. So we had a lake, uh, like right on the across the street down the hill. There was a lake. So we had like a good little uh, a little temperate forest around us uh it was good it was a good place to we had a lot of geese in our front yard that's wild dude there's so many similarities i had no idea that uh uh our backgrounds were so similar in these was days. it very minnesota-y yeah that what you're describing is very similar to my neighborhood also um my, mine is like all the old people but also like not a lot of young people to hang out with and a lake and a bunch of animal poop it's very much like <laughs> And the loneliness and like using loneliness. Sure. Me, I would just like go into book. I would go into comic books in particular. Yeah. I was big in like sports video games. So that's where like my like sport love came from was like playing like MLB 95 and like oh, yeah. learning, learning all the best players in 95, like who I could create my team to like, I got to have Albert Bell on the team. I got to have Frank Thomas on the team. I got to have Mike Mussina on the team. Every year after that you go through. So like, you know, your Maddens, your NCAA footballs, your um, NCAA basketballs were like, that was the biggest thing where like, I knew everyone all over the place on all these rosters because I would play the games for just hours and hours and hours. 
Interesting. I didn't know that that that's where that knowledge came from because I've just known you as the guy who like if I mention if I mention Jay Buhner, you could tell me it's like bad and average from twenty years ago or some random. Ooh, shit I don't like think that. I could. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sort of. I think you got a little too esoteric for me on that one. That's true. That's true. Well, what's yeah. the depth? What's the most random piece of knowledge if I were to say like, oh, shock me with some random fact? Is there anything that you could just pull out? Um, in, in sports relations? In sports, yeah. So I used to, and I think since, ever since then, these records have been broken. I used to know like to the T every like record in the NFL. So like Dan Marino has 5,280 passing yards for a regular season. <laughs> and um, it was... I think actually Dan Marino again was like 52 touchdowns was his. And uh, Jamal Lewis was like 2,160 rushing yards. Uh, and it was like these like very specific things. And most of them have, I think, since been broken. Uh, so I don't know if any of these are accurate anymore. But like I was really big on the records and like what the, you know, I've I've got a friend, you, you know, Clint Boylson, you know Clint. Uh, yeah. Clint is the type of guy, he's a big Clemson fan. He You can say, uh, all right, Clint, uh, week seven of 1993. And he'll tell you, oh, Clemson was playing Virginia Tech that day. It was rainy. Clemson won 34 to 22. He would do that. I have no clue how to do that. Mine is mainly like in the back of like a Guinness Book of World Records or in the back of like a sports almanac. That was the type of stuff I knew. Yeah. that is, That's like deeper than... There's like a step between I'm going to go home and I don't have any kids to play with. There's a step between that and memorizing facts. What, what well, do you think drew you to that? Um, I don't know. So I always liked to, like I said, I, I pretended to be good at sports. So I wanted to be the next tight end. I wanted to be the next small forward. I wanted to, you know, I never really played baseball. I was pretty terrible at it. Um, but because I always pretended that, like I said, okay, well, these are the stats that I can achieve. Like one day I will have a hundred, I'll have 181 touchdowns and I'll pass Jerry Rice. You know, um, I don't know if that number is accurate. Actually, I pulled that out of my butt a little Ooh. bit. Um, but uh, no, and, and I think it also went back to the video games part, where like as I'm like playing a season, it's like, okay, what records can I beat in this season? I got a good running back. Let's break all the rushing records. Hmm. So I'm like having to memorize the rushing records, see if I can break them in game and things like that. Franchise uh, mode, baby, and Madden. That sure. shit will suck you in. <laughs> Absolutely. That, actually, no, that's the thing. Franchise mode, I think I can only ever go like a year or two. After like it was the original core players of the season were like no longer on the right teams and you're drafting like fictional rookies, like that means nothing to me anymore. I no longer care about like Dalton Edwards, the new quarterback for the Saints. Fuck Dalton Edwards. I want to yeah. stick with my... My 23-year-old fast guy that no one knows, but is a real person. Yeah. Uh, what about your folks? What What's your relationship like with them? Oh, uh, good. So I uh, they're both teachers, so we never really had like a ton of money growing up, but we were never really poor. We were always, uh, I guess, well, well enough off. Um, and when I went to college, they offered that they would pay uh, full tuition for any for what it would cost to go to App State. So it was like 8,000 a year or something like that. And anything over App State, if you, if I wanted to go elsewhere, I'd have to pay for my own. So I had like resentment for a little bit of that. Like I was like, oh, I can't believe like you would you would force my hand and make me go to this college. So I purposely chose a college that like I would know no one in. And like out of state, you'll never see me again. So I went across the border. I was still an hour away from home. 
Wait, the um, the fact that you knew no one that was just incidental. You just wanted to go out of states as a. Uh no, I kind of wanted to go somewhere where where I knew no one. I kind of wanted to like start over. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, but I guess in, incidental to the story. Um, but I had like a little moment of contention with my parents during that, where I was just like, "You would like you're trying to lock me in, so I'm going to go the exact opposite." Uh, but ever since then, we've been fine. I moved away for. A couple years. I, I lived in Atlanta for a little bit. I lived in Alaska for a little bit. I oh, held yeah. residence. What were you doing in, in Florida Alaska? for three days? Uh, Alaska, I was running a restaurant. That's right. So, I forgot about that. Yeah. I went to culinary school in Georgia and then went to Alaska to run this restaurant. And well, I went to Alaska to be a sous chef. And three days in, the executive chef said, fuck this. And he threw a pan and he left. And like he actually became homeless in the town we were living in. <laughs> like, I would see him. He threw, would see he him. threw his apron off, and then he just went to the sidewalk in front of the restaurant. So he threw a pan. He was cooking something. He was cooking like salmon. No, it would have been salmon in a pan. Whatever was in the pan, like a tagliatelle pasta. And he fucking just threw the pan across the kitchen. Said fuck this, and he left. And I kind of like looked around, and um. There, so it was a shared kitchen. We had we had one kitchen with two restaurants out of it. And we were in the middle of our busy service. So I just kind of like took over. And then one of the prep guys from the kitchen came and just checked on us. And was like, where did uh, Chef Jorge? Where did Chef Jorge go? We're like, he left. We don't know. We need you to take over. And so like he kind of like ran grill while I ran front of line. And then like a week went by where we just kind of makeshifted some bullshit. And eventually, uh, I got called into the manager's office, and they're like, "Yeah, if you want to run the kitchen, you can, but you can't change any of the menu. You have to stick with this menu the rest of the the rest of the season." So I was like, "All right, all right, that's fine." <laughs> well, I mean, that me. must have been that was while you were at Winthrop or in culinary school. That was right after culinary school. So this was actually my externship. So to graduate culinary school, I had to do like three months on the job somewhere. So my three months on the job ended up being like executive chef for a restaurant, <laughs> which was not what they had planned, uh, but it worked well. Uh, I had a, I had a good time. How old were you when you went to Le Cordon Bleu? Um, 22 at Le Cordon Bleu and then 23 in Alaska. And I'm, and you were at Winthrop before that? Yeah, I was at Winthrop from, uh, I was 18 years old till 21. And I never graduated at Winthrop. Winthrop. I, well, economics economics so then where did the economics where did the culinary part come in like where did the interest in cooking come in um i had after two and a half years of economics i had like not necessarily a breakdown but like kind of a like do i want to continue down this path if i do this i'll get a job at ernst and young i'm going to be a clerk at a law firm and i'll just do like boring shit for the rest of my life and I will be paper runner forever. Mm. So I kind of like backed out. Sorry, someone's calling. Hold I just on. got to climb that call. Okay. Um, am I still on? Yeah. I got you. Uh, so I kind of backed out uh, of school in the middle of, well, I, I guess at the end of my first semester of junior year, I was just like, eh, I'm going to take a little minute. And I did a lot of things like planning to go to Africa. I was going to go to Malawi to uh, help with the World Bank in, Af- in Malawi, Africa. And uh, that actually fell through because of funding. And then I was like, okay, well, if I can't do that, I'm going to go to Taiwan to teach English as a second language. And I did a whole, I got to, you know what? It's story time. Tell me. So 
I am about to go to Taiwan, and before I go to Taiwan, I have to go to a place called IBLP, Institute of Basic Learning Principles, in Oak Brook, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. And uh, I, they take a two-week crash course in like how to be a missionary overseas. So I get there, and immediately it feels very culty. Everything around me is like uber cult. And day one, they're playing volleyball on the sand in front. And all these girls are like wearing like long dresses, long sleeves. And it's like summer. It's Chicago, sure. But it's still summer. Like, Mm -hmm. all right. So I'm wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And I just take the t-shirt off. And I'm playing. I'm in a little better shape at the the time back then. So I felt good about taking my t-shirt off in front of all these single ladies. Mm -hmm. And uh, immediately got pulled aside and was just like, you have tattoos. You are not allowed to take your t-shirt off. Like, you have desecrated your body. And God will never forgive you for this. Uh, I was like, my tattoos all are somewhat about God. Like this is like a a Kappa Sigma tattoo Mm. and Kappa Sigma has like Christian value, I guess. And then I've got like a cross on my back and things like that. So I'm like, well, they're actually not against what you're thinking. So the leader of the organization, Bill Gothard, who's like granddad put Bibles in hotel rooms that like the famous Bible in every hotel like he invented room. Invented yeah. the idea of putting it in yeah. hotel rooms. Yes. Oh God. Okay. That was either his granddad or his great granddad. Uh, he sat me down in his office and he said, "Have you ever given your body to Christ?" I was like, "Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did in youth group back when I was like, you know, twelve years old. Sure, I'm pretty sure I did." And uh, they're like, "Well, I want to do it for you. Can I pray for you?" I said, "Sure, Bill." if it'll get me out of this office. And he put his hand on my head and he prayed for what had to have been 45 minutes. Jesus. It what was, kind of shit did he say? Uh, like honestly, like mainly just pastoral things of like, like just like this man needs to be in your presence, Lord. And like, it was not like speaking tongues. It wasn't like playing with snakes and shit like that, but it was just a, an overabundance of like, you're playing this card way too much. Like, yeah, I this could have been 14 seconds. And yeah. like, honestly, this didn't have to happen at all. Like <laughs> this, this seemingly shouldn't have happened at all. So I was kind of weirded out by it, but you know, whatever. If it's gonna get me where I want to go, it's fine. So I do the two weeks, and inevitably, um, IBLP actually was no longer an accredited program for me to go to Taiwan because Bill Gothard was uh, under. Uh, let's see if I get this right. He was under investigation by the FBI for being a cult leader for emotionally raping. That that's a, that was a term they used. He never Holy like shit. physically did anything, but he would like emotionally abuse, emotionally rape women, um, like telling them that they were like garbage people. And like he never I think that's just how he got his rocks off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so IBLP got stripped of their accreditation during my time there. Uh, so I wasn't able to go to Taiwan because of this fucking murder. <laughs> When he said that he won't have you given your body to Christ yet, I was expecting yeah. an emotional rape would have been best case scenario in my mind. But sure, yeah. t- touching your head for forty five minutes, I think you got off clean. I do remember he had very sweaty hands, and like the whole time, I was like, "Stop! Don't touch my! Don't mess with my flow right now." What, I've got what, good hair right now. Why did you want to do this? So, like, why did you want to go to Thailand so bad? Is it Taiwan or Thailand? Taiwan. Taiwan uh, so Taiwan. bad. And why yeah. do it through a, um, a missionary? Uh, they pay. If you do it through missionary, they pay you. You don't have to pay for the plane ticket. You don't have to pay for anything. They pay all of it up front. And 
essentially a free, uh, a free personal journey. And I was just at the time in my life, you know, like I said, I didn't want to do Ernst and Young. I didn't want to go and, and live a life of economics. So I just wanted something. And that was something that I could grasp onto. Uh, so uh, once both of those fell through in consecutive in a matter of like three months, both of those fell through. So I was like, well, this might not be my path. Uh, and I don't actually know how culinary school kind of got on the radar, but I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, honestly, I've always enjoyed cooking. It's something I want to do. I like the restaurant supply sales side is something I would be really good at. And that's actually what I do now. So the uh, degree that I have, pushes me into this and it gives me a good you know, heads up. But um, it was honestly just a potential emotional breakdown I was having at the time that like I had to grasp onto something. And those were just the things that were there. Yeah. Well, what was that? If you feel comfortable talking about it, like what, cause we're pretty close at this time. This must've been yeah. around like 2010 around there. Uh, yeah. 2010, 2011 was when I left Winthrop. So like, what what did that what led to that emotional breakdown? Like, what was the specific moment leading up to it? I don't know if there was a specific moment. I think uh, I was in an unhappy relationship. I was uh, I realized really quickly at Winthrop that um, like the idea of a degree from a like a big university uh, meant a lot less than who you knew, and if you knew the right people the degree is fucked. Like, I don't care about the degree. Uh, and I actually got a job as like a gym teacher at a Montessori school right down the road. And I was like, well, shoot, I'm making good money as a, you know, granted I was making good money for a college kid, which was like $13 an hour. But I was like, I'm making good money doing this. Why would I do less hours working and more hours schooling just to pay for more school in the future? It mm-hmm. like, I was playing that logic game in my head of like, I'll just be an adult now and I'll worry about education later. Yeah. 13, yeah. I mean, $13 an hour goes a long way in the Carolinas, especially at that point. Oh yeah, man. I, I could have bought three houses at, by now if I would have stuck with that <laughs> I mean, job. Really dude, like sat, <laughs> rural South or North Carolina, you could buy a house for like 55 K. <laughs> I'm currently looking for a house. And right now we're in a process. We've put in two bids and both bids have been denied, even though we've been $10,000 over on every single offer on both offer. Uh, but when I look at, on Redfin at my little circle of, of my filters that are coming up, every now and then I like to branch off of those filters mm-hmm. and just look at, you know, how much is it going to cost to buy a house in Atlantic City right now? Atlantic City? Fucking buy a house right now. Those houses are like $72,000 for like a three bed, two bath in Atlantic City. Oh, I suppose the casino industry is getting their asses kicked right now. Oh, yeah. That that town is dead, but I can buy a house in that town. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not going to be dead forever, probably. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's Dude, take we a- had some, some people join, man. Oh, uh, yeah, it's captivating stuff. Let me, yeah. Let's take a quick uh, break to uh, thank our sponsor ourselves <laughs> Woo-hoo! we're paying for this <laughs> hold on hold on hold on this is this is just an absolute shit show you know greg i'm no pro but most of the time when you do a sponsor read they want you to be prepared i know this week's episode of don't shoot the gingers is brought to you by our very own greg larson's second memoir that's me clubby a minor league baseball memoir Clubby is a hilarious and illuminating story about a starry-eyed baseball fan who accidentally became part of the minor league system that exploited his heroes. 
Just search Greg Larson Clubby, that's C-L-U-B-B-I-E, to pre-order on Amazon today. It is good. It is a good book. I I thoroughly enjoyed that book. As a, am I allowed to tell people? I'm fuck. I'm doing it. I'm telling people. Of course. I read your book, and it was fantastic. I appreciate it, man. We'll uh, when the time comes in the future, we'll do uh, clubby stuff whenever the springtime cool. rolls around. But it's no secret. Fuck, fuck clubby for now. Yeah, it's it's no secret. But uh, I'm more interested in, in you right now. Okay. Well, um, what else you got, man? We haven't even talked about my favorite pizza toppings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is an interesting point. I still feel like I don't fully understand the the food part because you're in the restaurant industry now and you're at yeah. the, you got thrown in as an executive chef as a young man, which is a really rare and hard to find position. Granted, it was in Alaska and you probably didn't want to stay there forever. So oh, you're at fault. I would have stayed there forever if I didn't leave for a girl that became an ex-girlfriend. I, Alaska was amazing. Uh, I would I would go back in a heartbeat. Really? What's what yeah. town were you in? Uh, Healy. We were three hours north of Anchorage, an hour and a half southwest of Fairbanks. It's Mount McKinley. Oh, I or see. Denali. Denali now. Um, what, did they change the name? Yeah. So officially, like two years ago, it used to be Denali. Denali was the uh, Athabascan term, as the Alaskan Inuit people. Uh, Denali was the actual like cultural term of it. And then William McKinley saw the mountain was like, wow, Mount McKinley. Uh, and so it stuck until two years ago. I think they moved it back to Denali two years ago. Oh, I see. Because there's like a mountain range up there called like the Denali Mountains or something, right? Denali National Park. Yeah. All oh, the, I see. Yeah. Because I'd seen that then, word before. Denali is the tallest mountain in North America. Huh. Did you ever go out there and like go camping or hiking up there? Yeah, so we did a lot of like glacier tours. So you'd hop yeah, on a helicopter and you know ride the either ride a helicopter or ride like a little like eight seater biplane uh, up and just land on like an eight thousand foot glacier. And it's just like everything beneath you is eight thousand feet of ice and snow compacted. And you know do you know snow angels on the glacier and stuff like that. And uh, we got on the side of Mount McKinley. So McKinley's too dangerous to like land on or anything but they can like do momentary like brush buys. So we were like on the side of it essentially. And then they had to fly away. Um, we, what, uh, what do you mean momentary brush buys? Like the plane can't land, but he there's like a long strip that's nowhere near the top. It's like mm, probably, I don't know, probably a third of the way up, half the way up. And there's like a long strip that the plane can kind of like touch and have to jump back up. It doesn't have enough space and you guys land. just tuck and roll or what what's the no, good no, no, of it? No, no. He, just, he just kisses it and like it's like there it is and then he keeps going by wow yeah. so you're in the plane while he's doing this i yeah. see yeah oh god that sounds beautiful we're, so we pilots up there were ballsy like there'd be two peaks that are really close together he's like let's see if we can squeeze through it <laughs> like oh, wait shit. what do you mean let's see <laughs> that's like some uh star wars millennium falcon shit going sideways yeah. and then going through a little crevasse there so this is a long time ago. This is upwards of a decade ago and you're married now and yeah. you're in a happy, healthy relationship now. But I'm curious at the time, were you in a long distance relationship while you were there? No, I was in a relationship with a girl in Alaska. Um, oh, wow. She was actually the hostess of the restaurant beside us, the shared kitchen. She was the, like the hostess that led you to the table. And I, and so like where her hostess station was and my, kitchen was like we could see each other 
Oh, um, so then she saw that you were the new hot, you were the new uh, chef. Yeah, I, was the, I was the new hot shit. Yeah. Pumping out salmon. <laughs> so how did you guys start? Uh, how did you guys get connected? Uh, actually not even, well, I don't know. I don't think I made, I had a friend, Joe Sandriel, uh, and Joe wanted to hook up with Mallory McGowan and Mallory was a, uh, very devout Mormon and would not do such a thing. And she, but this he, is a separate woman from the hostess, right? This, this is, is a not, separate one from the hostess, okay. but it'll, it'll tie back. Mallory's cousin was this girl, Amanda. So Joe was just like, John, I need you to like come and like come to like movie night with me and Mallory and you're going to like hang out with Amanda. Like Mallory refuses to go without Amanda, but I need Amanda to not be like a part of this situation. So he's just trying to do things. So like we're like watching, oh, we watch, we watch Moneyball actually, Brad Pitt Moneyball. Cool. Um, and uh, it was just Joe and I, I sort of told her and I was like, I think Joe wants to hook up with her. So we just have to, we just have to let that happen. She's like, no, that can't happen. I was like, well, if it happens, it happens. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, so that kind of be seeing each other every day. Um, we just hung out a lot. Honestly, that's all it was. There was no like quick moment. We just hung out like every single day. Um, and then she had to go back early for, so like the end of the season wasn't until October, but she left it like at the end of July for like a work a thing in Florida. And, uh, so I was like, well, shoot, I'll just go to Florida. Why not? Like, man, I, I, I'll follow her and I'll, uh, if I can do a seasonal job, I'll do summers in Alaska, winters in Florida, and we'll just do this perfectly. And, um, I get to Florida and we hang out for three days and we go to Orioles, Tampa Bay Rays games. That's the, uh, I think I told you I got kicked out of Tampa Bay stadium. Um, that was the day that I was with her the very first day. (laughs) Um, but so we're there. And after three days, I was like, something's weird. Something's wrong. And I asked her, I was like, what, you know, what's wrong? She said, nothing. I was like, no, I hate when people say nothing. Something's wrong. Just what is it? She's like, "Uh, well, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. And I said, well, is there someone else? She said, yes. Oh God. Is it your ex-boyfriend? She said, yes. I was like, oh fuck. Why did I come here? (laughs) Where did he live? uh, in, In Gainesville with her. In uh, University of Florida. Uh, so I, no, so I took a cab from, so we were in Gainesville and then we went to Tampa for all this. And this happened in Tampa, like me, like having this conversation with her. Um, so I took a cab to the bus station and I like, it was like, I need the next bus to carry North Carolina, the closest uh, spot the Amtrak would travel to. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, well, that's not for another nine hours. I was like, done, book it. And then I just had my backpack and I walked around Tampa like a homeless person for nine hours. And it was like, it was actually a really good, like cathartic day of just like, I only have like $29 in my pocket. So I have to like very specifically, I can't just go to a bar and drink the whole time. It's just, it's a wander. And like, I saw like Raymond James stadium and I saw, uh, university of South Florida or central Florida. One of those. It would have been Uh, South Florida, central Florida is in Orlando. Yeah. saw USF. Uh, I saw like, Eber City, the, like the little cigar island area. It's super hmm. cool. I love Eber City. Um, but it's like little Cuba in Tampa. Uh, and I just did that for nine hours, hopped on a train, and then took a 13-hour train ride to Cary. Well, that, that's kind uh, of perfect. Where, where my because, mom me up. <laughs> well, that, he, he, sometimes you just got to go back home and recover for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but like that's perfect because you probably didn't have a you probably weren't staring at a cell phone you weren't ignoring your feelings yeah. it's like you have no choice really but to sit with whatever the hell just happened there for at least a few of those hours. Sure. So yeah. I don't 
so how long were you guys together when you were in Alaska? Ooh, uh, honestly, probably not that long. Um, I got there in March. So we would have been from probably like April to July. Like literally not a long time. Gotcha. Um, but then, so that was when she was there. And then we were still dating, but not together because she was in Florida up until October. I see. And during that time when you guys were apart, you were still in Alaska. She was in Florida. She reconnected yeah. with her ex and then you came down and then she told you that. Yeah. Brutal. Okay. So you went yeah. back up to North Carolina and then what happened? Um, I lived with my parents for a little bit. I got a job working as like a deli clerk. Uh, like I was like, I have a culinary degree and the best I can get is a deli clerk right now. I just ran a restaurant slinging 800 people <laughs> a night. And now I'm like slicing people's soap rosetta. <laughs> it was a it, it i was in charge there sure like i i had some sort of managerial duties but it was just the worst uh so a friend matt mays called me one day just randomly out of the blue it was just like hey i want to move to rock hill which is winthrop university where we all went uh i want to move to rock hill you you want to go I was like, yeah sign me up when do we go like honestly i'm ready to go right now and i i went i didn't have a job i didn't have anything i was just like i just want a new a new start for the second time yeah uh and it was good it was a good decision because had a lot of great memories my second tour back in rock hill so how long were you there the second time um three years and so what, what years were this years roughly? what now what what years did this take place roughly Ooh, uh 2013 and 14 i see like the end of 2013 all of 2014 Probably the beginning of 2015. Gotcha. So that would have been the, the time during which I came back and I like had all the Ironbirds gear and gave you yeah. jerseys and that kind of shit. I see. Yeah. And then where in that, is that the time when you met Amelia or when you started yeah. seeing her? So my current wife, my current wife, <laughs> my, my first wife here, the one that I, <laughs> one that I have yet to lose. Um, she, we were, we, we, we didn't just live in an apartment. My friends and I, we, we had to call it something special. So we lived in the penthouse because it was a, above a garage. And mm -hmm. we were, uh, and then after we left the penthouse, we went to the deck house cause it had a cool deck, but like, no, not, we don't live at three, five, eight Ebenezer. We live at the penthouse. Yes, sir. Um, so we we're hanging out at the deck house at the time. And our neighbors are having a party and, um, uh, there's a couple of pretty girls walk in. So we're like, Oh, we should probably go say hello. It's only the gentlemanly thing to do. Uh, so we go and, uh, see them and apparently she looks at one of her friends and says i point up because not she's she's not in heaven but she's above me on the <laughs> second floor yeah. <laughs> at this um, moment she's in your house on the second floor yeah yeah she's moving around i think she her ear is to the to the floorboards right now listening uh but she asked a friend is that john giles and her friend's like yeah he lives here now and she's like i thought i thought he was like 30 like how old is he now nope time time stays the same between me and with you and everyone it's i'm the same age <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm exactly as much older <laughs> time moves different up there it's because yeah. of the, the longitude changes it's 30 uh but no, so, so you guys started... had known each other vaguely or at least known yeah. of each other when we were in college together and now this is three or four years after the fact Yes. So my very first interaction with her when I was probably a sophomore in college, um, she was introduced to me and it was, you know, hi, John, my name's Amelia. I'm new here. And I said, um, cool, I'm going to go get a beer. And that was 
the very first react, or very first interaction we ever had. And I think that was the last interaction we had until that night on the porch that we like rekindled. Like, oh, I know you, you, yeah. And um, I was very specific in never letting her like leave. Like she, if she, all right, she needed to go home. That's totally fine. Like I'm texting her the next morning. And I was like aggressively keeping in contact. Where like, I know most of the time it's like, oh, don't do that. Try to play it cool. Try to like wait three days. I was like, nope, not, not here. Just okay. like. You learned something from that cult. Yeah. Cannot lose her. Uh, so I just aggressively pursued every day and like tried very specifically to do like rom commy things um, that she would make fun of, but it would still stick in her mind. Like uh, what? Um, give her a kiss goodbye, open the door for her, and then she would like get in the car and I'd like grab her at the last second before she get in the car and like pull her back in for a second kiss. Uh, like running after her, that type of stuff. Um, now that, that kind of stuff that seems very much on, on brand for you. Like you, yeah. you like that kind of shit. You're not just yeah, doing that as a show or something or like trying to impress somebody. It's like that shit. I don't know if it makes you laugh or if it just, if it's, you just seem to get like a secret joy out of doing that kind of shit. Yeah. I think she thought I was doing like a coordinated effort where I was just yeah. like, I, I had this like game plan that like, okay, I have to do this move. And then after I do this move, she's going to like me one more point. Yeah. And like, it was never that it was never, it was just like, Oh, this is like, Oh, that would be cute. I think I bet she'd like that if I did that. Yeah. And like all, all embarrassment and regard aside, like I would do it in front of my friends and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, ah, she liked it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, that it, it can come off that way. If you don't know, if somebody doesn't know you, they're like, Oh, he's yeah. just doing that to, I don't know, impress her or something. But it's like, no, if you get to know John, he's doing that to just, for his own enjoyment and for the other person's enjoyment. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that you uh, see that. I'm glad that you, I said it out loud and you re- recognize what was happening and it wasn't like a weird, um, like formulaic plan. Yeah, man. I, cause I remember when I first met you, I thought that there was something like put on about your personality, but I was like, no, like that's just how he like entertains himself. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's how he's just like, that's how he enjoys himself. Like, sure. And I think hey. part of it is like, you think it's funny. <laughs> I do enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. Fuck yes, he enjoys himself. Callback, deep callback. Uh, so this courtship process with Amelia, how long did it last? And how did you guys start to get more serious? Um, we started talking uh, I, I courted her for, I don't know, probably, probably a good year. No, 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 it was not. It was pretty quick, actually. For like two months, we courted. Sorry, I'm trying to think about all the other things that happened. For two months, we just like courted. We, you know, I, I would take her on little quick dates and, and text her and stuff. What, what um, kind of quick dates? Do you remember any of them? Uh, I remember Burns Gregory uh, was our, wait, was that? No, that wasn't. That's was our second Burns callback. That was a previous girlfriend. Burns was our waiter at a, at a, at the station in Rock Hill. That was a previous. No, uh, just like little little dinner dates and little like uh, going over to her house and watching a movie, that type of stuff. Mm. Uh, never anything like over the top dramatic. We never did like adventures or anything in our dating period. It was just like safe little dates. Gotcha. And uh, December fifteenth of that year, I took her to. <laughs> talking about we were talking about this the other day this was formulaic this was a plan that like 
all best plans made by men go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I had this park that I used to go to. And uh, on this path, there was a fence that got torn down. And if you go underneath the fence, the path continues. It had like washed away. So they put a fence up. But if you kind of move away where the erosion was, you still have a good path. And it led to like a little rock island formation. And I would just go out there and it was a nice place to just go out there and catch your thoughts. You just lay on the rock and just kind of breathe and, you know, listen to music and stuff like that. So this was uh, in Rock Hill? This was in Rock Hill. What, what streets? Um, Waterford. If you go up, um, you know where Waterford Country Club is? Uh, that might be out of my, uh, out of my uh, pay grade. Yeah, the Catawba River. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we're in the it's, outskirts of the town. We're not, we're not like yeah. Cherry Road. We're on the outskirts. No, no, no. Okay. This is the Catawba River. Uh, the the Rock Islands are like in the Catawba River. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I, I went there a couple times, just like when I was like stressed after. I guess it wasn't after a long day of work, but uh, before a long day of work, I knew it was going to be a stressful day, so I would just go there and just kind of like breathe. So that was like my special zone, and I took her there, and we got to the fence, and she's like, "All right, turn around." I was like, "No, no, we can go through." She's like, "Are we trespassing?" <laughs> no, 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 trust me, trust me, we can go through. And, and we go, and the whole time she's like, why the fuck are we walking down this eroded garbage? There's beer cans, there's condoms. This is not a romantic spot. I was like, just wait, just come to my spot. And we get to the rock, and like I like hold her from behind, and she knows exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I asked her some sort of, you know, like, I'm, I'm better with you, and I, you know, want to continue being better, and will you be my girlfriend, that type of um and she surprisingly said yes in this setup in this like surrounded by beer cans and like where 16 year olds go to smoke cigarettes that's where i asked her out and she said yes and that is the uh, effort we, dude that's the most important part is the effort and the forethought that like matters way more than any of the beer cans yeah i mean i planned it like this is like my plan the whole long and she still makes fun of me she made fun of me 2 days ago for it she's like remember that time you asked me to date on a rock with trash around us yeah <laughs> <laughs> my name is john uh actually greg remember i don't know this might not be on episode 1 this might have been previous to episode 1 i asked you to remind me one day about the time i got molested what I think I'd remember that. So I asked you at one point to remind me about the time I got molested. It was on that rock. Are you, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? I, I don't uh, know what the hell you're referencing. Okay. So months prior when I was on a walk on that, in that rock area, there was like a homeless man out there and, uh, and he like joined me on the rock and I was like, Oh no, this is not a two person rock. This is a solo rock. So I got up and left and he like followed me. And at this point I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get like murdered. Like this is going to be an uh, absolute murder scene. Then there's no, no one knows I'm out here. Um, so like I quickly climbed this hill using like tree roots as my climbing ground, um, like straight up and just assume like I can just get, get rid of them. And he follows me up this climbed hill, a good 12 feet. And he were like standing in this like tree area. And I was like, I'm going to, why are you like, what the fuck? What are you doing? And he he didn't say anything. just grabs my dick what and i was like whoa no 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 he's like he's like i thought that's what this was i was like how did you read that (laughs) how did you read that that is not what happened i i was escaping you and uh so he was like he was rightfully embarrassed uh but i was also shook 
So I, I turned and like, I actually had a pocket knife in my pocket and I turned and like grabbed the pocket knife and like held onto it with firm grip and like sprint walked away from there. Just like, if he follows me, I don't know what to do. Like, but yeah, just old homeless man grabbing my dick 20 yards away from that rock. I thought that's what this was. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, so I, I think that zone is like a cruising zone. Cruising. I think. Yeah, I think that's where uh, I think that's where some cruising happens. Uh, so he saw me and he thought, "Young, hey, young, redhead, we would make a wonderful couple." Wow! But instead, you chose you went in the exact opposite direction and you chose Amelia. So on, uh, in retrospect, looking back on this moment with hindsight being what it is, probably shouldn't have taken her to that rock. <laughs> yeah, probably some needles. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you guys are officially dating and then how did you know how did the process between you guys dating and you guys getting married how long did that take so that would have been like i said december of 2014 i think yeah wow so, that's a while i didn't even realize yeah. that yeah so like uh, five plus years that you guys were together before you uh proposed yeah yeah, we took it slow for a really long time. Neither one of us were really ready for like anything like big. I had just moved across the country to be with a girl that didn't want to be with me. And she was in a really long college relationship that lasted pretty much the length of college. Hmm. Um, so like it was like, all right, well, we're, we're having fun. We're enjoying ourselves. But like, let's not let's not rush into anything and ruin it. Uh, so like years went by. And we talked about marriage. We talked about proposals. And every single time it would be like, she would say something, you know, like, well, don't do it yet. You know, we're not ready. It's like, all right, you know, I know I'm not ready. And I personally didn't have a lot of money. So I was like, thank God that you don't want a ring right now. Because if you want a ring right now, like, we're going to Walmart. <laughs> we're going to, to get like a gumball machine ring. Yeah. A um, couple years. And then in 2018, uh, we go up to a place in upstate New York every year with her family. Her family's owned land up there for 50, 60 years. Uh, probably longer, actually, now that I say that. Hmm. Um, and we go up there every single year. It was her favorite spot, so I knew that would be where i do it. So I had uh, the ring in my pocket, and I go, and we go down to the to the point on the island. Uh, it's like a little island that they, that they always go to. There's a point at the very end right where the water hits, and uh, I proposed down there, and um, it was – it. I never said her name. I, I planned this beautiful proposal. I planned everything. I read it out loud on my mind 30 times. And the time that I said it out loud with my mouth, I never actually asked her to marry me. I just talked about someone being good and how I wanted to marry that person. What, <laughs> and what, like, what, did, it, what did you say exactly? Hmm. I probably... No, I don't know if I still have that written down. Uh, it, it was to the extent of... Similar to my uh, ask me to be your boyfriend, it was, you know, you make me a better person. I don't want to fall back. Like every single day with you is a new step in the right direction. And you've changed me so many ways for the better. And um, this is where I would have said something like Amelia Rudolph Gustafson. Would you marry me? Will you marry me? Ah. And instead I was just like, blah, <laughs> ring, ring pretty now, girl, you, me. So you didn't yeah. say your name or, and you didn't say any of the spiel that you wrote out? I think I did say, will you marry me? 
Yeah. But I'm fairly <laughs> certain I, I totally blacked out when I proposed. Like gotcha. what I said is I did have a videographer, but the videographer was like 200 yards away because it was supposed to be like a sneak attack uh, and they couldn't come up. So I, I to this day, not 100% sure what I said. Gotcha. So you didn't just forget her name. You forgot the whole speech. And oh, yeah. And once again, though, it's the effort that counts. I think one of the main reasons why I forgot was where we were at this point in the water and like the waves would kind of lap up and almost at our feet was a little bit of a puddle. So I had this terrifying mentality that I'm going to pick up the ring and it's going to fall into the puddle and then it's just going to go into the water. It's just going to go in uh, inshore and I'll never see this ring again. So I think for the most part, I was just focusing on that and all of my brain power was on holding the ring. Well, plus you're nervous proposing to this woman you loved. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> nerves <laughs> were a thing. Well, yeah, that just seems like a hyper rationalization of just like the natural nerves of proposing to somebody. Yeah. So I know, I vaguely know Amelia. I know her as a lovely young lady that I was like, we're in, um, there's like a Venn diagram of social groups that overlap the little group a little bit. And I sort of knew her, but I want to know, like, I want to see her through your eyes. What, what are the things that drew you to her? Uh, she's super caring and just like genuinely kind to everyone. And she will go out of her way to an extent that actually probably hurts her a lot hmm. to help someone else. Like if she can go a mile to let someone go a foot, she'll do an RB. And, um, it's, uh, it, I don't know. That's just a really good quality that I've always appreciated. I, I feel like I want to do the same thing. I always want to help someone however I can. Like if it, if it doesn't hurt me, of course, why not do it? And you know, even for her, she'll go that step further of like, even if it does have a momentary hurt, I'll still help you. Mm -hmm. um, so I see that in myself and I wanted to see that in someone else and she'd shown bright with it. Uh, obviously she's beautiful. She's smart. She's all these list of things, but I think that's like the number one thing that, that drew me in from the get. Did you see, like, was there some specific interaction you had early on in your dating experience that you, you saw that quality in her? Um, I, no, not really. Uh, I, I could probably make something up, <laughs> but uh, no, there's not really a, a specific in my mind right now that I can't think of anything that like stands out as like, you know, that's the moment. That's the thing. It's just this series, this conglomerate of events that happened that like all share the same values. Mm. Uh, every single thing she did went back to like, okay, this pure, like empathetic, altruistic heart. Gotcha. So I want to, I just want to step back in time just a little bit back to you being in Rock Hill. And I want to understand the, the food thing is still fascinating it's to me. It's bothering you. It, yeah, because I still don't know why, because like the food, even the restaurant you didn't, the delicatessen that you didn't like when you were in your parents' place after the Florida mishap, you know, even you're involved in food there at a job you yeah. didn't like, but then you, in the jobs that you do like, you're also involved in food. So it's not necessarily that I don't like the food industry. I, lo I love the food industry. It's what I'm good at. It's, it's like where everything I have belongs. It's the, the two jobs that I had that I like, I couldn't have enough. Like I, I was just, I, I'm done with this job is the deli because of the boring monotony and the place that I was the executive chef at. We did 800 people a night. We had 200 people coming at two o'clock, 200 people coming at four o'clock, 400 people coming at six o'clock. It was on a train schedule. Trains would drop people off. 
200, 200, 400 every single day. And you could never, you could never win. Every day was a loss. Every day was a new low of a new like, well, we screwed up this many times today and we only did this, these few good things. And um, yeah, sure, we're, we're feeding people. We're feeding hungry tourists. But like, this is rich tourists who are hanging out in Alaska. Like, they don't, they didn't need me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I wasn't being, I wasn't being their salvation. I was just cooking their salmon tartar. Uh, you don't cook salmon tartar. You just throw right? it on Terrible the plate. Terrible <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, no, so I, I didn't like the the wear and tear of uh, that 800 a night, and I didn't like the monotony of the deli. And I understand that there that is two extremes. Mm-hmm. And there are 90% of the restaurants fall in the middle, and I could have easily found a restaurant in the middle. But I experienced both extremes, and I was just like, let's leave. Let's leave. <laughs> like, yeah. my... Uh, but stay with the industry, keep my degree, keep my knowledge and stay in the industry and do what I do now. And I wouldn't change that for anything. But I mean, my, my point is that even the, the jobs that you didn't like those extremes or not that you didn't like them, but the ones that were on the extremes, they had to do with food and the ones that you do like that are somewhere in between also have to do with food. And I still don't understand why other than I I don't know why I like, I'm curious about your fascination with the food industry. Uh, I've always been a hands-on person. Uh, when I, I'm always wanting to learn a new task, learn a new ability. So, you know, teaching myself guitar or teaching myself woodworking or teaching myself, uh, cooking. That was one that came really easy. And all you have to know is, you know, 10, oh, we did, we just lose our Instagram live feed. I think just only cause it only goes for an hour. Oh, boo. Um, all I like, all you have to know is, you know, seven or eight basic techniques and three Hmm. or four basic sauces and be able to know what things go with what things Hmm. and you can make anything. So like, you know, 25 things and you can make literally everything in the kitchen. Uh, that's a good, I learned those 25 things. And I've forgotten some of them and I have to relearn. I have to reteach myself. I go onto YouTube. I go onto all these little videos and, and, you know, read cookbooks and things like that. And I do have to relearn them, but it is like riding a bicycle. Like once you start cooking it, you're like, oh yeah, this is what I do next. And, uh, because I wanted to learn that task and I became good at it, I don't ever want to give it up. Hmm. So it seems like there might, is there like any connection between that and the sort of like carpentry woodworking stuff that you've been doing? Is it similar? Yeah, I think it is. It's that same, like, work with your hands, learn a task, figure out how to do something and do it wrong. Mm. And, okay, how did I do it wrong? Why did I do it wrong? What steps am I going to take next time to do it right? Um, I'm currently blocking up my, uh, both these phones are being held up by scrap wood that have dovetail marks on them. So I taught myself dovetails and I'm fucking atrocious at it. What's a dovetail mark? Dovetail is when two pieces of wood come together at a 90 degree angle and they come together with as like little triangles that fit into little uh, like one piece is a triangle. The other is where a triangle used to be and they come together and they're a beautiful fit. Uh, And you usually do it with like different color woods and you make it look really pristine. And I've tried several times and every time I'm very bad. 
uh, just atrociously bad at it. And it's something that like I want to keep doing. So I've got six different pieces of wood right here that are dovetail marked up, ready for me to cut them. And I'm just like, every time I look at them, I'm like, okay, I make these little adjustments before I cut. I've measured 15 times on these woods. Hmm. Uh, and it's just a matter of like, I want to keep learning it. I want to keep doing it until I master it. And then once I master it, I'll move on to the next task. And then I'll use my mastery to help with the next task. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like that would be very similar to cooking. Yeah. Where if you learn the fundamentals, you'll basically be able to do anything. It's like learning a good fastball. All right. Every you can you can learn the fancy pitches off of your good fastball. Yeah. <clears throat> How did you start getting into woodworking? Uh with woodworking in particular, what was my very first project? Oh. Uh we have a fire pit in our backyard and no seating. So the very first project I ever did two years ago was I built a just a huge bench and I didn't want it to be some boring bench. I had, I wanted to go over the top. I wanted to learn like, <clears throat> yes, I can hammer wood into wood, but I'd rather use different types of joinery and I'd rather use like inlays and things like that. And I had no clue how to do any of those things, but I had an envisionment in my mind of what I wanted it to look like. So I just learned how to do them. Interesting. So maybe there's a part of it that you wanted to make something beautiful for the woman that you love. I can see that. Yeah. It, uh, yes. Because <laughs> I if I put it, if I put a bench together that was a two by eight with four two by twos and it technically is a bench, it would be an embarrassment. Yeah. And I would never be proud of it. And I know she would never be proud of me for making it. So I want to do something that everyone can be proud of. Yeah. And with the food, maybe this is a stretch. Did you ever find yourself cooking for the women that you love a lot? Yes. And it is, it's not a stretch at all because it is infuriating when I know I missed a step. Mm. I know as I was cooking it, I left this in too long. These, this zucchini got too soggy, something. And I, and I know in my head, I'm like, it's just, it's just fucking wrong. And it will ruin my night. Because she will be nice and be like, no, it's really good. Like, it's not really. It's garbage. It's garbage. And you you don't have to eat that. You can throw it away and go get Taco Bell if you want. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like, I always want to be the perfectionist. Like, make it perfect for her. Like, yeah. I'll eat it. I'll eat this trash. I don't care. But every bite that you eat, I want you. I want to look at you and be like, did you like it? <laughs> yeah, you liked it. All right. <laughs> nah, keep that one. <laughs> That is interesting, man. It's almost like the genesis of these two loves, the cooking and the woodworking, both stem from this desire to make something beautiful for a woman that you care about. That is, I, I've never put those two and twos together, but that's very accurate. You are like a romantic. You're a hopeful. Oh. People have the phrase hopeless romantic. You're like the hopeful romantic. I'll pull her out of the car, give her one last kiss, and then I'll teach her how to make a gnocchi. <laughs> yeah, man. You, it's like, that's exactly it. It's the effort, man. You're the effort guy. Like, you're going to succeed a lot of the time. Um, but it's like what I was saying with the uh, proposal or with the ask, more, more um, specifically, you asking her to be your girlfriend at the, you know, Heroin Island or whatever it was sure. in Rock Hill in the Catawba River. <laughs> Molesting point. Yeah. <laughs> molesting point. 
you doing that it's like so much the effort that counts and you're like beating yourself up over it and she's like no nah, baby i love it like male maybe in that one she was beating you <laughs> making fun of you too. for that one <laughs> um i want to look i want to look to the future and i just want to know right now you're in you're going into restaurants and bars and helping them open like how exactly does your job work so if a if a restaurant is about to open, if they're five months away from opening, um, at some point they're going to have to decide what they want, like thematically and like what type of silverware they want, what type of plates they want, what type of glassware they want. If they want two ply toilet paper or one ply toilet paper, like that type of decision that like, they don't know they have to make that decision yet. Half the time it's just, Hey, can you get me paper towels? you're going to have to be more specific than that. Let's figure out what paper towels you need. And that's what, where I come in to like figure out what they need and how they can best get that at a good cost. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, help them thematically and then help them kind of budget wise. And right now, I mean, where do you want to go with it? What, what, what do you want to be in 10 years? Sure. Uh, my boss will not be listening to this feed. Or watching this feed so I can gladly say not with my company uh, right now I'm the highest I can be in my company without owning the company hmm. uh, and there's no yes I can always get more commission I can always get another restaurant uh, but there's and there's really no cap on me doing that I could I could if I was really good sell to every restaurant in between Charlotte and Greenville South Carolina and yeah I, that is the pipe dream I could always hope for but I want something with more upward mobility. So like something as simple as just being a sales manager of more than a few people. Right now I'm a sales manager of one. Well, I used to be a sales manager of three and then COVID happened and we had to furlough people. Uh, so like, I want to be in charge of more people and like, I still love the accounts. I still love going out and visiting people, but I want to <clears throat> actually be in charge of the human beings that are doing those accounts. Hmm. Um, so sales manager and then turn that into, you know, go up the corporate ladder, district manager, vice president, whatever of, you know, food house right now I'm doing more paper and supplies, but I want to get back into the food. So Cisco U S foods, that type of stuff. If you guys are watching John Giles, I'll send you my resume. Uh, it's pretty great. So you would want to be, would you want to be still, uh, moving or, or not moving around, but like on calls going into restaurants or would you want to like be in one built like a corporate office? I mean, the idea of a corporate office does sound terrifying. I just sound terrible. It sounds monotonous and and trash. Uh, I love going out to corporate offices. So I would want my job to be some sort of hybrid between the two. Uh, But uh, I can also work from home in that situation. A sales Mm -hmm. manager, like you go to your office, you go and have your team meeting and you, and you decide who does what and you help everyone out with their projects uh, and then you can also just go home and play with your family. So that's, that's the dream. That's the ideal. And then do you want kids? Yeah. Uh, once we get our house, which like I said earlier, we keep, we keep bidding on houses and losing them. So who knows when we are going to get a house. Uh, but once we get a house, we want to move in, settle in. And then uh, kiddos would be a future step after that, but not anything now until we get the house and settle in. Yeah, well, just buy one of those $72,000 houses and just call it a day. Atlantic City. So that's the problem. No restaurants in Atlantic City because everything's closed down. 
can't ah, do my job up there. Fuck. But you can find some of those really sexy, sexy, sexy hobos up there, I'm sure. Oh, God, they could grab my dick. <laughs> John, I mean, quite frankly, I feel like I have a much better picture of who you are now. Yeah. Much more than I it, did before. It's funny that like, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. We've, we've mentioned this a couple times. We've known each other for quite a long time. And I just take for granted that people know my story and my like the things that I've done because when I say offhand like yeah when I was in Alaska and I couldn't even finish the sentence because you were like wait what the fuck (laughs) yeah like you took like that that's a part of the of my life that you're like wait hold on rewind you're gonna have to talk about that like I take for granted like oh yeah I forgot people don't know that I forget that people don't know that I didn't graduate Winthrop and um little things and intricacies that like yeah they make sense to me because I fucking lived them but other people don't know those things. Yeah. And the yeah, Alaska, there's like some little nugget in my mind that it triggered. It's like when you said that, that little fact, it's like, oh, wow, it unlocked this, this nest of memories that I forgot about of just a time in my life. Um, thinking about you at like the Sumter house or, uh, or not this, where did you, did you and Greg that was Osweiler? Sumter. That was Fort Sumter. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, like that period of time is what that unlocked. I, I think you probably went to Alaska after you lived there. I did, yeah. But that that period of time that that little factoid unlocked. But um, are, are there any final words that you want to leave our viewers with about you and anything that you want them to know about you that you haven't had a chance to tell them? Uh, I mean, not. I feel like we've we've done a lot of circling over things that I didn't think we were going to talk about today. I thought this was going to be more of a um, nonsense interview. What's your Uh, favorite pizza topping or whatever? What's your favorite non-pornographic magazine to masturbate to? That exact question. I am disappointed that wasn't asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but I'm glad that we went down the road because I, I don't talk about these things very often. I don't talk about like the former ex-girlfriends and why they happened and we i don't have an opportunity to talk about amelia very often to other people without other people saying like shut up about your wife we get it already yeah uh so it's it's a it's a great sounding board and i don't know if, if other people want to know more about me you just go to my twitter at Pumura Vive, or go to at ginger don't shoot and also find john on instagram at puma revived yes but there's a caveat in that, Greg. I'm glad you brought up Instagram. At Puma Revived, we are going to see how many followers I can get <laughs> without <laughs> making a single post. So far, I have no posts done. And in the amount of time that I have had no posts, I have, this is good quality podcasting, still 14 followers. It has not increased since last week. We were at 14. I want to see how many followers I can get without actually putting a post up. I love it. Let's start. Let's get you past that 15 benchmark. Uh, 15 is the dream. And then 16 is the fucking dream, dude. Let's One day. Man. Oh, man. Let's, let's I wish see we were streaming can... right now. I know. But let's <laughs> see if we can get John to, to 15 followers on Instagram. My Instagram, uh, find me at Greg Larson Comedy. Find me on Twitter at the Greg Larson. Find me on OnlyFans at Greg Larson Comedy and Sex. And find us on YouTube, uh, Don't Shoot the Gingers. Uh, I'm Greg Larson, and it's been a fantastic time getting to know my buddy John a little bit more. And uh, (laughs) 
forgot the guy's name. <laughs> Mike What's Bagley or something? <laughs> no, Marvin, you're Marvin Bagley. I'm Darren Fox. And I'm Marvin Bagley. You're listening to Don't Shoot the Gingers. Love you.